You're listening to Tiger Talk, the student media podcast. I'm your host, Piper Hutchinson, bringing you news from LSU and the Baton Rouge community. folks. Thanks for tuning in to uh, today's episode of Tiger Talk. Uh, we are joined today by Reveille uh, Sports Editor Peter Rodericus and Reveille Deputy Sports Editor McKay Swear. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's great yeah. to be back. We're excited to be here. Well, let's start off with our loss to Texas A&M. That was one of the most frustrating and heartbreaking games I've watched in a while. Um, this time last week, we had a shot at the playoff, and then we were dominated by a 4-7 and seven Aggies team. What happened? Yeah, so the funny thing about that game, you know, coming into the game, you know, one of the things Brian Kelly had talked about a lot was, you know, obviously Texas A&M, they'd kind of been the laughingstock of the SEC this season. They had the bad record, um, you know, the worst record in the SEC coming into the game. But they were still a team that was really talented. I mean, they had the greatest recruiting class of all time last year um, coming into this season. And, you know, obviously along the way they dealt with injuries, they dealt with a lot of other things than just, um, you know, the system wasn't really working. But this was still a team that had talent and had talented players. And, um, you know, on Saturday it just came down to, you know, pretty simple, simply put, A&M's talented players played up to their abilities and LSU's talented players didn't. And, um, you know, especially down the stretch in the second half, Texas A&M really kind of dominated LSU. And that's kind of how we got to where we are now. Yeah, I think um, Noah Kane said it best in the postgame conference. He said, you know, going in this game, we knew that they had absolutely nothing to lose and we had everything to lose. And that's exactly how ultimately a&M ended up playing that game. They played that game like, I mean, they knew no matter win or lose, how bad, you know, the score was, they weren't going to play another game after that. They weren't bowl eligible. They obviously weren't going to go to the playoffs. So they just went out there and played football. And ultimately, that's what ended up happening with them winning, you know. Some people have said that uh, Coach Kelly made some poor uh, play calls. Like, you know, when we had just a few more minutes to try to squeak out a win, going for two there, that was, I don't know, to me, just as a casual fan watching from home, I was just like, what the hell are you thinking? Like, do you think we were outcoached? I mean, th- that situation in particular was puzzling to me just because, you know, going into the LSU's down 38-17, you, you know, the score and then you just kick the extra point, 38-24, and you're still down two touchdowns. I mean, going for two, you know, even if you get it and it's 38-25 instead of 24, that doesn't really make a big difference at that stage of the game. And then even worse, you see on that play, Jaden Daniels goes down injured. And now he's a guy who is, you know, we're not sure what his status is going to be going into this week. You know, Brian Kelly said um, on Monday that, you know, he's in a walking boot right now. We haven't gotten a real update from him since then. So, you know, that's yeah, on that play, you know, was kind of a double whammy in that, you know, obviously you don't get it, you know, that LSU ended up losing either way. So that didn't really mean much to the game. But now going forward, you could, worst case scenario, be without your quarterback going into the biggest game of the year. So, yeah, I mean, that decision was very 
puzzling. You know, after afterwards, Brian Kelly said, you know, their analytics didn't say much more than just that, you know, analytically, you know, their analytic books, it made sense for them to go for two there. Didn't really elaborate on it much more than, elaborate on it much more than that. But I mean, yeah, to me, you know, I, I didn't quite understand the decision. Yeah, I think everyone was kind of confused at the decision. And I think that goes as far as to say that not just fans, I think that that game in general, when AM came out guns blazing, I think it just kind of turned everyone upside down in a sense. And I think it led to decisions um, coaching staff wise and also just like play wise that weren't necessarily the best. And um, there definitely were things and decisions that could have been made differently that I think would have put us maybe not to say on top, but um, definitely closer in the running for the win. Yeah, I mean, that certainly wasn't the only poor call he was criticized for, but I don't know, it just felt very reminiscent of some teams in the past where, like, coaches were just so inconsistent, borderline on bad with clock management and just mismanaging the human assets on the team. I think, you know, a lot of people were really starting to feel very hopeful about Coach Kelly and even that one play just put a sour taste in people's mouths. Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of Brian Kelly going forward, it's one of those things, I mean, you know, look, he's, he's had a really good career. Um, you know, he's, he's shown on multiple occasions that he can, you know, what he's capable of. And even this season, you know, he has the biggest question coming into this year at LSU was can he win the big games? You know, be tested again, obviously, on Saturday where, you know, he will be a very massive underdog against Georgia. But, um, you know, you saw... He's made, you know, decisions, you know, very gutsy decisions that some have worked out, some didn't. I mean, you look at the decision to go for two against Alabama where, you know, it did work out and they win the game on the final play. But then you look at decisions like going for two against Texas A&M where it didn't make sense. You know, he was also criticized by many in the Florida State game in the opener where they had a chance to go for two right there and win the game, but instead decides to kick the extra point. It gets blocked and LSU loses. So... You know, it's always it's always tough with decisions like that, um, you know, because if it goes right, you're a hero. If it goes wrong, you're a villain. Now, I think the Texas A&M one going for two is different because I don't think that would have affected the game, you know, even if it goes right. But um, I, I think um, over time, you know, he'll prove the decision making wise. There's going to be plenty, plenty more big games. And I think more so the issue in this game was it wasn't a big game for LSU, but it was a massive game for Texas A&M. And I think that was pretty evident by just the way the two teams came out and played. Yeah, I mean, you win some, you lose some, but should we be concerned that Coach Kelly is gambling like this? You know, um, I think every decision is is different. I mean, he has I'll be honest, has made some reckless decisions at times that have been puzzling throughout the year. I mean, not just in the Texas A&M game, but, you know, think back to the Tennessee game where towards the end of the half, he goes for it on fourth and 10. They miss it. Tennessee scores again before the half. And that, you know, kind of puts LSU out of the game, you know, going in the second half. You look at um, the Arkansas game where, you know, it didn't end up costing them, but you see him going for multiple times with deep in LSU's territory. And, you know, if it weren't for a couple, you know, penalties that, you know, literally prevented them from getting certain plays off, you never know how that maybe could have changed a game where, you know, LSU barely hung on to win against another team that had been underachieving. So I think, um, you know, in the SEC, when you're playing against talented teams and maybe with an LSU team that, you know, against some of, some of the better competition, against Alabama for sure, against Georgia for sure, um, 
isn't as talented, I think you do have to take risks. I think it's just about, you know, learning, you know, time and place when it comes to that sort of thing. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's always room to grow. There's always room to improve, but that is definitely something that I think, um, you know, very fairly, there's been questions raised about, you know, his decision-making in those instances. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Peter. Um, I think it's also easy to forget that Brian Kelly is human too. I mean, he's coming in and replacing um, one of the most well-known, notorious LSU coaches that will ever go down in history. Um, and I think LSU football coaching for LSU specifically is probably one of the hardest jobs, one of the hardest schools to take over um, in college football just because of how known it is. Um, this fan base is wild and when things go great, Brian Kelly is always going to be the hero. When things go bad, he's always going to be the first to blame. Um, and so coming in, he I think he knew that this was going to be a tough job for him. But he's going to make mistakes. You know, I mean, our best person on the team is also going to make mistakes the same way. Um, but one thing I've definitely always respected about Brian Kelly is that he is always the first person to, um, you know, admit his faults and take responsibility for literally anything that goes wrong, whether we win or lose. Um, some of the first things he says in press conferences are, you know, we need to coach them better. I need to get my staff and we need to figure out how we can coach them better. And I think that's something that you can really look up to because he knows that his job as this team's coach that's kind of rising from the ashes after a hard year is is a big deal. And I think he understands how much of an impact, good and bad, that he could have on this team and the school as a whole, really. Yeah. McKay, you make a really good point about, you know, the fan base's criticism of Coach Kelly. I mean, at the start of the season, fans were really skeptical. Um, after winning Alabama, they were in love with the man. Um, now they've got buyer's remorse again. Um, do you guys think that the fan base is too reactionary on Kelly? I think every um, every fan base of any, you know, big-time college football program is, you know, reactionary. Um, I think that's just the nature of, you know, especially college sports and college football nowadays, you know, when you're playing a sport where one game can, you know, effectively end your season, I think, you know, that's just how fan bases are going to react. Um, I, I think, you know, the way I kind of look at it is like this. Um, how many people, you know, and how, especially how many objective people expected LSU to be in this position at the beginning of the year? I think, um, you know, a lot of the common predictions, you know, even if you look at back at, um, us at the Revly, like our pro record projections for LSU at the beginning of the year, it was a lot of seven and five, a lot of eight and four, you know, some six and six, a couple, maybe nine and three. But, um, you know, many people expected this to take time. And um, it is still going to take time for LSU to really get to the level that, you know, they were in recent years. But I think it's also, you know, admittedly admirable that he's gotten this team where they are now, um, just year one. I mean, I did not expect this team in, you know, at any point to be playing for the SEC championship in year one. Never expected them to be beating teams like ranked Alabama or top top ten Alabama and top ten in Ole Miss in um in year one. And they've done that. And um they've definitely taken their lumps along the way. I think um, you know, that was expected. I expected there to be a few more lumps in there than there were. Um so you know, I think time will tell, obviously, what, what happens. You know, it's only year one out of, you know, who knows how many. And, um, you know, I think it's only the beginning, though, and I'm interesting to see, interesting, interested just to see what he does, you know, now going into next year and, you know, years beyond that. Yeah, I mean, after the A&M game, I saw 
the majority of people really upset and, you know, Kelly this, Kelly that kind of thing. Um, but then I saw a lot of people also, you know, we can't be too upset. We just had this amazing season. You know, let's go back to just a year ago whenever we're doing not great at all. You know, we weren't seeing really any success and or any kind of light shining through the cracks, you know. Um, and so at the end of the day, I think that I would rather be writing about a team that's led by a coach that takes chances and, you know, maybe he's going to fall every once in a while, just like every coach does. Um, but to take this team that virtually had no chemistry, had not really played together before, new quarterback, new leader on the field, um, so many, so much newness, new coaching staff, to take all these people and bring them together in a way that we're now going to be heading to Atlanta in a couple of days in the SEC championship. I mean, I'd rather be writing and talking about Brian Kelly, who takes chances and, you know, sometimes he's going to fail and the team's going to fail and that's going to happen. But then also he's having these big moments and these awesome moments that we love to cover and we love to write about because they're exciting things that's happening for LSU. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to watch a team that a lot of people have a lot of passion for fail and lose. Um, but it's also that much more exciting whenever that same team rises to the occasion and is doing what LSU has been doing all season long. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I personally am pretty satisfied with Kelly's performance and what was supposed to be a rebuilding season. I mean, after our season opener, you know, I didn't feel very optimistic at all. I certainly didn't think we were going to beat Alabama. Uh, so what do you guys think, you know, Coach Kelly's uh, outlook is like moving forward into next season. Yeah. Um, you know, I think next year is where this team kind of has a chance to take the next step. You know, obviously it's going to rely on, you know, the offseason is always crazy in college football. I think the biggest question to be answered during the offseason is whether or not Jaden Daniels will come back for his final year. Um, I think if he does, given everything LSU has coming back, all the players LSU has coming back on offense otherwise, I think this team is in a really good position to be a strong contender in the SEC next year. Um, you know, you're, you're going to lose um, Kayshawn Booty and, a, you know, a couple others. But other than that, you get, you know, barring any transfers, you're, you're getting most of your production on offense back next year. Um, you're going to lose, you know, a lot of players on defense, um, you know, especially in the secondary. But, um, I mean, look, Brian Kelly did a really good job on finding transfers and finding guys to fill those holes from a depleted roster last year. So I think, you know, part of the offseason is getting to do that again. Um, he's put together a pretty solid recruiting class so far, and we've still got, um, you know, more time to finish that, finish off that class. So, um, you know, I, I think the the foundation is, is, is being set. Um, you know, now obviously – there's a lot of other good programs in the SEC that are doing the same thing. Um, so that's that's the thing about being somewhere like LSU. You're going to be competing against the best. But um, I, I would say overall, just based off of what I've seen, based off not just the results on the field, but what he's been doing off the field in terms of building the roster, building the program, and how he continues to do that. You know, I would say right now um, the, future is, the future is pretty bright. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, Brian Kelly coming into Baton Rouge, a lot of people questioned his you know recruiting abilities, especially with people in the area. Um, but I think he's kind of exceeded the expectations of that. He understands how important, especially in the last few years, how important like the transfer portal is and how important recruiting has become. And um, I think he's really taken advantage of the resources we have around Baton Rouge and the resources that he brought with him from Notre Dame. And... Um, 
I'd say that he has a really good hold on, you know, he knows who he wants and he knows it's important to keep, you know, Baton Rouge here, Baton Rouge guys here. Um, and so I think that he'll continue to do so. And I think that the way he's recruiting, he it, it almost seems like he wants to be here for a good bit. And I mean, I would hope so if they keep having seasons like this. Um, and especially with recruiting, he's kind of setting the next few seasons up to be to have the potential at least to be pretty good. So I'm hoping that he's continuing that and they keep moving forward in that sense. Um, it will be interesting to see who's leaving and who's staying and how he kind of works with the team to rebuild in those areas. But I think if it continues how it is, we should be watching a pretty productive team once again next season. I'm glad you guys think Kelly's got a good long-term outlook. Um, I personally am ready for another natty. Don't know about you guys. Um, <laughs> hopefully we're going to see some big success like that in the next few years. Um, but, you know, coming back into the short term, um, what are y'all's, y'all's thoughts about the SEC championship game? I'm anticipating it's going to be painful, uh, but you guys are the experts. Tell me. Yeah, um, it's certainly an uphill battle for LSU. Um, you know, last I checked, you know, according to um, Caesars, LSU was a 17-point underdog going into the game. And I think um, that's that's pretty fair considering where both teams are right now. I mean, you know, here's the thing. Georgia's obviously defending national champion. They're 12-0 coming into this game. They haven't put it together in every game, but they've still won every game. And when they have really put it together, I think at least that this team is still head and shoulders above the rest of college football. Um, so it's it's definitely going to be tough, especially to you factor in this is for all intents and purposes in Georgia's backyard as well. Um, you know, it's going to be in Atlanta. LSU fans travel really well, don't get me wrong, but it's still probably going to be a pro Georgia crowd. Um, you know, at least there's going to be plenty of Georgia support there. Um, so, you know, it, it's going to be tough. I think, um, you know, it, offensively, LSU is going to have to play one of their best games of the year. Um, I think, you know, for one, we're still not even sure about Jaden Daniels' status, and he has to be at his very best. And, you know, if he's, you know, not 100%, that's going to be tough, um, you know, because he needs to be a factor in both the running and the passing game, which when he is at his best, he is. Um, I think we're also going to have to see a really good game from LSU's running backs to keep that balance. Um, they are going to get Josh Williams back this week, who missed the last couple of games. So I think that's going to be really important just as a guy um, who can do multiple things for you in the running game in that backfield. And then defensively, um, you know, Georgia's got some weapons. On, Georgia's got some weapons on offense. So LSU defensively is going to have to come to play as well, um, slowing down guys like Brock Bowers, experienced quarterback, and Stetson Bennett. So, um, it's 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 going to be a tough game for LSU. I think it's one where they're going to come ready to play. You know, Brian Kelly talked about on Monday, you know, the vibe in the locker room right now. It's not so much, you know, oh, we lost to Texas A&M, you know, we're ready to give up. Like, no, they're they're upset. You know, they're um, you know, they're, they want to go out there and prove themselves. They want to, you know, go out there and make up for, you know, the loss, you know, this past week. They're excited to play in the SEC championship from what Kelly's been telling us. So I think they'll come to play. But um at the end of the day, you know, it's going to take a lot for LSU to, you know, to win this game. And, um, you know, right now, you know, definitely could be wrong. I said the same thing about Alabama, um, and I was wrong there. But, um, you know, I, I just think where Georgia is and where LSU is right now, Georgia is just too much for this for this team. Georgia has so much of their championship team left, um, and we're on a rebuilding season. So, <laughs> I mean, I think people are right to be a little bit nervous. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, while I do love a good underdog story, it's just too, it's it's too much, I think, for this newly bonded LSU team to be able to handle. Um, I would like to say, though, that Peter predicted Alabama LSU incorrectly, and I was, in fact, correct. My prediction wasn't too far off either. Queen. I went with, uh, thank you, yes, I was very proud. Um, I went with the underdog, and I said making that prediction, I was like, it's, it's going to have to be kind of the perfect storm of everything going in LSU's favor to win, because at that point, Alabama was still a very strong team. Um, but I think that even with the perfect storm for LSU going into this weekend in Atlanta, it's it's still, I don't know if it's going to be good enough. I'm just hoping that when we get there or to watch this game unfold, that LSU really does put forth their best efforts. And it's not this thing where it's like, oh, see, all along they shouldn't have been there. Because that's been a lot of, I feel like a lot of talk. A lot of people didn't obviously expect this kind of season. And they didn't expect LSU to be in the SEC championship. So um, I don't want LSU to go there just for people after to be like, see, they shouldn't have been there. Um, they have every ability to put forth a really good fight. Maybe not take the game, um, though that would be awesome. But they do have every ability and potential to put forth a really good game for everyone to watch. And I'm really hoping they do that. Yeah, but I mean, you never know in the SEC. I mean, there have certainly been some games in recent memory where we've upset Georgia or comparable teams. Um, I'd be a little surprised if it happened, but at the same time, it's it's, a, it's SEC football. It's all within the realm of possibility, as we saw last weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, any um, any given Saturday, um, you know, I when you have two talented teams, I mean, you never know what can happen. You know, you, you have an LSU defense who you know has caused havoc for some teams at certain points this year, and I think if they do that, and LSU's really clicking on offense, I mean, hey. You never really know. You never really know what could happen. So um, I, I think you're right. Just in the SEC, when you've got two teams this talented, you can never truly, you know, write a team off. Yeah, I mean, college football is absolutely insane. Um, you really can never expect or anticipate anything. But I think it was Nick Saban's second year at LSU that um, LSU kind of had a similar season then that they are having. Um, now and they went to SEC championships and beat Tennessee. I want to say it was Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a similar and situation. So, I mean, I think anything's possible. So I'm not going to say that they absolutely cannot do that um, because, again, I watched this season unfold where I'm like we're sitting in the press box just like eyes wide open, gaping mouth because we're like college football. Like, whoa. Right. Um, so I definitely think anything's possible. Anything can happen. Um but, yeah, it should be very interesting. You guys have score predictions for the game? So um, I, was, I, was, I was talking to um, a friend of mine named Stuart Steele from the Red and Black over at Georgia today, and we talked about the game. And, you know, I was, like I said, um, it was the same thing I, kind of, I was kind of saying earlier. I think LSU will come to this game ready to play, and I think they will come out firing. And I think they have a chance to keep it, keep it close um, for a while. I think they will be competitive in this game. But I just think um, – you know, as the game goes on, as the game wears on, I think Georgia's just going to be too much for LSU. And I don't think it's going to be a runaway. I don't think it's going to be a splattering or anything like that. But um, I think Georgia will win this game. Um, I've got it 31-17, Georgia. Oh, McKay. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to go 
I'll say 3826 Georgia. I like McKay's pick better. Uh, Fingers crossed for that. (laughs) Uh, Glad we got the red and black shout out there. Everybody go follow. Um, UGA has a great journalism program. Their student paper puts out great work in the sports section and the news section. Um, Okay, so looping back to Coach Kelly. um, Peter, uh, before the season started, you wrote a column calling for Kelly to be a moral leader. After observing him up close this season, do you think he's making the right steps to redeem our football program in the moral leadership department? I think um, I think it's fair to say so far he's done, you know, everything asked of him as the leader. Now, you know, as it comes to being a moral leader and stuff like that, you know, uh, admittedly it's hard to tell and, you know, it's really hard to tell until something bad happens, until there is a scenario where you do have to take charge and be a leader, you know, like, We've seen LSU coaches in the past, you know, fail to do. So, I mean, look, I, th- I think so far, you know, he's 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 done everything right. He's handled himself um, well with the media. He's, um, you know, I think he's, you know, said the right things, done the right things within the program. He's, you know, kind of done his best. One of his big things early on was to kind of clean up some of the messiness and toxicity that kind of, that came with the last regime within LSU football. Um, but, you know. You know, I think with, when it comes to being a moral leader, you never really know until, you know, some of the things I mentioned in that, that article come up. And, um, you know, but you could also say that, you know, a good a good leader, a good, you know, leader of these guys and, you know, someone who leads these these players and someone who brings these players to the program on one side, you would hope that, you know, you don't create an environment where, you know, that type of stuff happens. And I think that was the biggest thing that he was trying to change when he got to LSU. And I think um, that was one thing that LSU was emphasizing when they were, you know, trying to find a coach. They wanted somebody who could, um, you know, who who they who they knew could, could come in and be a leader and, you know, not put up with some of the stuff that, you know, we've seen in the past at LSU and Shut other places. Shut down nonsense before it happens. Exactly. Exactly. Mickey, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like Peter said, you don't know until we aren't going to know if, you know, Brian Kelly is that good moral leader or not until something, you know, is kind of brought up and, and uncovered. Things in within the sports world, especially in college sports, are very easily hidden up and covered. Um, and that's unfortunate. And obviously, if, if something would happen, I'd hope that it would come to the surface quick because obviously that that's just going to create an even bigger issue and more toxic environment for LSU football, which is what we're always going to be trying to work away from um, after the last few years. Um, But, you know, I think the way that Kelly has convinced these guys to just trust him and just run with it. And, um, you know, the, the guys that have trusted him, it's, it's working out for them so far, you know, and I think that it takes a certain person to be able to get these guys that, they, they want to go to schools that are going to win. They, they want to go to the school that is in the process within the that year or the next of winning a national championship. And for Kelly to just get these guys to trust him and trust his plan, and it didn't happen, you know, just all at once. It kind of gradually took place over the season. But for him to be able to turn this team around and get these guys to really trust his ideas and his plans and just him as a person, I think, does say – hopefully a good bit about, you know, the kind of guy he is. Well, I hope he maintains that trust of, you know, not just the team, but the whole campus. Um, You know, speaking of, uh, well, adjacent 
to Coach Kelly's relationship with the media. Um, McKay, I have a question for you. Um, you know, earlier this season, we saw another woman sports reporter, um, the advocates mm -hmm. Leah Van, catch some heat on the job. Um, we've also seen some male student reporters get some flack from their professional counterparts. Um, you're both a woman in sports and a student journalist. Um, how has that challenge been for you? Yeah, so um, definitely, and I mean, shout out to Leah Van. I mean, she's amazing. She's incredible at what she does with The Advocate. Um, she's very, very sure of herself. And I think that that confidence is definitely key to this job in general, but especially as a woman sports reporter, especially in sports, um, because I think that especially in football, you know, these older guys and guys in general don't expect that a woman's going to be able to walk in there and, you know, understand what's going on and then be able to write a story about it or ask um, really good questions to these guys or Coach Kelly in press conferences and that kind of thing. I think that we kind of get overlooked in a sense as students already, but especially as a female, um, you know, I think that there's this kind of weird idea that females don't take the job as seriously or that they're there for other reasons. And, um, you know, even though I don't intend on being a journalist in my professional career, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, you never know. Um, I do take the job very seriously. I know that it's a very big privilege for me to be covering one of the best teams in, you know, college football and one of the best schools around, you know, so I take it very seriously. And it's important to me that I am professional and that I'm morally sound and, um, you know, I can out talk like, let's talk baseball. You know, I can talk circles around a couple of guys that I'm around talking baseball and, and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I I hope that we're continuously moving towards a space where it's just as okay for a woman to be on ESPN talking about football or baseball or any male-dominated sport as it is for these older men to be covering a, you know, huge college softball game. Um, there's got to be both ways. You, you can't have one or the other. And I think that women are just as capable. And, you know, as if we're given the opportunity to, we will prove that we are just as capable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting at times. It's, it's easy to feel like you're being underestimated. Um, but like I said, like Leah does so well, she's very confident in herself. And I think that, um, that's a very important quality to not only this job, but definitely being a woman in this career. Yeah. Well, you've certainly been doing a phenomenal job. Thank you. You know, I feel, you know, as a woman who is a sports fan, I feel really grateful that there are women like you and Leah covering LSU football, just because we've seen how many things that male sports reporters have let slip through the cracks. And I know that we're getting a fuller coverage of sports because we have women covering, you know, our football team. Yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. Like, I've, I've obviously never played a, in a football game. You know, I, I can't sit here and, and talk stats and numbers like like Peter or um, Henry Huber will. I mean, they are incredible. And are there women who could sit and talk circles and hours and hours about stats? Of course there are. Um, but I can spot details and tell the story of the game just like anybody else could. And um, I mean, I, I told a lot of a lot of great articles. I wrote a lot of great articles about you know Jaden Daniels' progression over the season, and I was really proud of that kind of thing because you know it's it's just as important to tell that side of the story as it is to tell the analytics and the statistics are not everything. <laughs> I mean, Peter and I had this conversation a lot over the summer, where like 
as I was editing some of these sports articles, I was like, I'm a, I'm a football fan. I've been a football fan my entire life, and I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And I think getting away from that and telling the human stories, analyzing you know what people are thinking about in the heat of the moment in the game, that's, that's the best sports journalism to me. Because, you know, to a casual fan, I don't think those statistics mean a lot. Right. No, I, I kind of agree there. I mean, it's it's much more interesting to me to know, you know, where did this guy come from or where did this athlete come from? Why are they here now? And what made them choose LSU? And, you know, like, how did their upbringing and, and story kind of get them to where they are now? And why are they the person they are? Um, that will always be more fascinating and interesting to me to read and write and learn about than any number on a chart can tell me. Um, even for baseball, I do understand stats a lot more in baseball and softball and that kind of thing just because I played it. Um, I played softball for a while. But um, I wrote this huge Gavin Duga feature last season about why he was so deserving of wearing the number eight jersey last year. And I mean, it was one of the best things I had felt I put together. Um, I also collaborated with Joe Curley and um, Henry on a huge Jack Besh article. And it was all about who Jack Besh is. And, you know, it's it's those kind of stories that I think are way more entertaining, way more fun to write and read. And um, I think that, you know, that's where we really, as women, we can really do that job because, you know, women are naturally more nurturing and, and more emotional. And um, I think that those kind of things stick out to us more. And I think that it's easier to want to tell that kind of story rather than here's what these numbers mean, you know. Okay, if you don't want to be a sports reporter, maybe you should be a 30 for 30 writer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh, we're uh, running up on our time, so we got to wrap things up. Um, before we go, um, if our listeners want to find you guys on social media and find more of your work, where can they find you? Yeah, um, so... For the Reveille, all of the stuff, Reveille Sports, find us on our new old Reveille Sports Twitter account, <laughs> at Reveille Sports. Um, just, yeah, at Reveille Sports. And then uh, for me, um, you can find me on Twitter at, at, at Peter underscore Rodericus. And I am also on Twitter at Mac, M-A-C, the tiger. So, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. really appreciate having you all on. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Before uh, we kind of wrap things up, um, this is probably my last episode of Tiger Talk. Uh, I'm graduating in a couple of weeks. Um, this has been my final stop at uh, Student Media. Oh, I'm emotional. <laughs> I just really enjoyed talking to you guys. And um, if you guys are interested in my work, I'm moving on to the Louisiana Illuminator. And you can find me on Twitter at PiperHutchBR. That's all for Tiger Talk. I'm your host, Piper Hutchinson. This podcast has been produced by David Robbins. You can find more from The Reveille on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at LSU Reveille and on TikTok at Reveille LSU. You can find more from KLSU on Instagram at KLSU FM or live on the radio at 91.1 FM. <laughs>